This episode of She Explores is brought to you by Steo. Steo was founded to inspire connection with the outdoors through beautiful and functional products infused with mountain soul. Born and based in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, the mountain lifestyle inspires the apparel Steo creates. Whether it is to optimize your favorite outdoor activity or just to remind you of the good times you had in the backcountry. Later in the episode, we will hear from Gail Straub about her favorite outfit from Steo that has been keeping her feeling classy and warm through the New England season changes. Learn more and get 25% off your purchase by going to steo.com and using code EXPLORE at checkout. That's S-T-I-O.com and a whole 25% off by using code EXPLORE at checkout. This episode of She Explores is also brought to you by SmartWool. SmartWool brings comfort, confidence, and community to a life lived outside. They construct soft, moisture-wicking merino wool clothes to help make your outdoor experiences more comfortable, which makes them even more fun. SmartWool wants to share their love of the outdoors with more people, which is why they make performance clothes that uncomplicate your adventures. Because they know that being too wet or cold or hot can get in the way while you're out there. Whether it's accomplishing big goals, soaking up the mental and physical benefits, or making new friends. SmartWool has everything you need to help keep you and your loved ones cozy this holiday season. Hats, gloves, sweaters, and socks come to mind, but they carry head-to-toe merino wool apparel that will accompany your adventures well into the new year. Learn more by heading to smartwool.com. Go far, feel good. I'm Gail Straub, and you're listening to She Explores. There's something about hiking and backpacking that just lends itself to kind of deep conversation and you know as you're maybe struggling along the trail it's like usually sort of a distraction to just keep talking but I've just really on this trip found myself really absorbed in the conversations with everyone and just so amazed with everyone's depth of reflection on the work that they're doing and passion for getting girls outside and and working with them to discover and express their strengths and so that's really been amazing. Have you ever been given a gift that you didn't know you needed? An unexpected experience that's closer to soul medicine than anything else? I can't take you all here, but this is the next best thing. Right now, you're listening to a clear November night in the Superstition Mountains of Arizona. The chill has just set in, but it's warm enough that I don't need to pull on my wool hat. As I record, my headlamp is off and the moon hasn't risen yet. There's desert sand under my feet and at least five different kinds of cacti. A little over a month ago, I joined 12 women here for a two-night backpacking trip with the Karen Project. It was in this desert that I experienced the magic of connecting with people who are united by a mission and driven by purpose. Honestly, it seems like the opportunity of a lifetime to be able to not just spend time in community with other powerful women doing really important work, but to do so in an environment that feels really at home to all of us. And I probably speak on behalf of a lot of people when I say that what brought us into this are outside wild spaces like this, Um, but we're very far removed from them now. Probably spend a lot of time in offices in front of computers, and so to be able to interact and engage in a really authentic feeling space, um, I feel just truly lucky to be here with these women. That was Marina Fleming, who works at Women's Wilderness in Boulder, Colorado. All the women on this backpacking trip either work for or are founders of nonprofits and programs that bring girls and women into the outdoors. Sarah Castle and Allison Wright are why these women came together. They started a nonprofit called The Karen Project in 2016. They've taken the fun and opportunity of a big trek and turned it into fun and opportunity for others. Here's Allison on how it all got started with the hike of the John Muir Trail, or the Numo Poyo. Sarah and I um, have been friends for a long time, and we had had a friendship that started in college and then I think was sustained through a lot of different moves and distance by meetups around like doing outdoor stuff and getting outside together. And we had come upon this plan to hike the John Muir Trail, which is sort of this epic thing that I think unbeknownst to each of us was like a bucket list item. Um, And so we were 
in the course of planning and kind of like training for that hike and one of the weekends we were spending together doing that like we had this idea of wanting to give back and for me that was prompted partly by um having lost my dad about a year before and my relationship with him being very grounded in outdoor time and backpacking and hiking trips um i think it was something that i was still really grieving like losing that piece of of my life or like feeling like i might be losing it and and just also feeling so grateful for having had all of that opportunity and so wanting to kind of invest my energy in passing that on to to girls who who don't have necessarily the same family commitment to outdoor adventure that i've had not everyone who's able to make a big trip happen wants to fundraise for a cause. But Sarah and Allison wanted to, and they didn't just want to raise money one time. They decided to start a whole nonprofit called The Karen Project. The premise is pretty simple. They have a network of ambassadors who go on these big backpacking, cycling, and other trips. And they were going to go on them anyway. That's a distinction that's worth noting. But they're people who want to raise money for a cause while they're taking a long trip like that. And so they use these trips to fundraise for the CARM project. The CARM project then takes all the money that's raised by the ambassadors and divides it up into small grants, like a $5,000 size, and they go to nonprofits and programs that support getting girls and young women into the outdoors. So in essence, the CARM project uses adventure to fund the next generation of adventurous girls. I mean, it was a little, it's a little crazy, like in retrospect. Yeah, I I went back to where I was living in Mexico City of all places. And I remember like meeting up with a friend and being like, I'm starting a nonprofit. And it was like, you're okay. Like what? You were only gone for four days. Like what happened? So. Yeah, definitely. During that time, I think we like bought the web, like the web address. um, And we had picked out a name and. We, we, yeah, we're, we're really excited about the idea of being able to support lots of different groups. And I think that that's why starting an organization seemed like a really great idea. Um, during that time, we did a lot of internet researching about who we would support and, you know, the geographies that we wanted to invest that money that we raised into. And it was just like this kind of overwhelming experience of realizing that there were like so many cool small groups out there that could probably do a whole lot more if they just had a little bit extra funding. The purpose of the backpacking trip and the superstitions was to bring together some of the women from these smaller nonprofits who had been given small grants by the Karen Project. They represent programs and organizations from around the United States, and their operating budgets ranged from $5,000 at the smallest, which is basically the grant from the CARM project, to under $900,000 at the largest. I was there with an open mind to learn about these women and their corner of the outdoor nonprofit world. I was moved by what they had in common, that they all want to spark a love for the natural world in a younger generation while fostering environmental stewardship for years to come. I could describe the landscape we hiked through, but I want to let the very special guest that we had on this trip do it, Sally Jewell. Sally's resume is inspiring to say the least. She was the Secretary of the Interior under President Obama from 2013 until 2017. For the eight years before that, she was CEO of REI. And right now, she's interim executive director at the Nature Conservancy. She also happened to be my tent mate on this backpacking trip. What's extraordinary about the United States of America is that the best places in our country are not reserved for kings and queens and nobility and rich people. The best places in our country belong to all Americans. They're our public lands. And we were in the superstitions wilderness, just an hour out of central Phoenix. And yet you go around the first few bends where 
the people who are day hikers kind of drop away. And you are in an extraordinary desert scape with history and cultural stories, creation stories, lore like the lost Dutchman's mine, <laughs> wildlife, tarantulas, rattlesnakes right by our tent, <laughs> scorpions, um, birds, bats. And that doesn't happen very many places. And, you know, you get an appreciation of water and what happens when you don't have water. You get an appreciation of gear that we have today that enables us to, you know, gravity feed fresh water out of a, you know, pretty scuzzy looking pond. <laughs> Chewy, as you said. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you feel not only a part of nature, but much more insignificant than you feel in an environment where you're surrounded by human creations. And to me, I started this trip really stressed out, and I end this trip in a much better frame of mind, which will make me much more effective at my job tomorrow than I was on Friday. And so it is the majesty and the grandeur of the wilderness. It's you know, looking up through our tent netting at the stars as the moon set, thinking about where did the moon rise and where did the moon <laughs> set and where's Polaris that everything's revolving around <laughs> and how small you are and how insignificant you are. And uh, so that's a bit of my take on that incredible landscape. The Karens there are gigantic and they have lichen on them, which means they've been there for over a hundred years. Wow. It takes lichen a long time to grow, so it's kind of cool. This is Amanda, one of our REI adventure guides on the trip. So anyway, that's our route What's for today. Elevation is, is going to be about a little less than 600 overall. Oh, okay. It's a lot less than yesterday, about six miles, so a mile less than yesterday. Um, exposure is about the same. We'll try to break, the, we'll do one pack off break that's kind of shady. Um, lunch, you can find shade for sure too, and same at camp, but it's kind of similar, like we're kind of out in the open. This first chunk here, I, I haven't been on it this year yet, but is typically the most like, um, like cat claw Probably. and stuff, like stuff's always gonna try to get at you. Mm -hmm. So it's gonna be a little scratchy for this part and through Marsh Valley, and then we'll get on to some of the Nope. Cool. Cool. Any other questions about anything? Or... Yeah, so far so good? Mm -hmm. yeah. Alright, cool. Then uh, when everybody's ready, um, if anybody needs last bathroom call or anything, we'll head out. Sounds good. Yeah? Alright. My name is Camille Fiducia and I am the founder of the Embark program. Uh, which is an outdoor recreation program for refugee young women. Camille started Embark earlier this year, all in her spare time. Her inaugural program had 10 young women. We are bringing young women in Utah's refugee community outside. So taking, I've got girls from Iraq, girls from Central Africa, Congo, Sudan, Chad, um, and other countries in the Middle East, and just bringing these young women together and teaching them outdoor skills and leadership skills and confidence building. So yeah, it's been it's been kind of a wild ride, but we wrapped it successfully. And I'm I'm definitely um, here looking to learn more about you know coming back to the table and seeing how this can grow and how we can scale it and how it can be done better. Camille's is the smallest and newest program represented on the trip, but it has a whole lot of potential. I think that mountain skills. Physical accomplishment, basically, I think is a metaphor for the accomplishments that we can have in the greater scheme of life. So, you know, if you can climb that mountain, you can surely figure out your immigration papers. You know, if you can persevere with a heavy pack on and you've been, you know, if, if you can stick with it through that, it just shows, it, it teaches follow through and then helps them draw on those experiences when they're in other situations where they need that. 
Um, but also I think there's two sides of that coin again because they've also been through things already and they've also come a long way. And I think in, I've learned so much about what uh, refugees in the United States have been through even just to get here in different countries and restarting life over and over and learning new school systems and legal systems and um, languages. And so I think there's there's both. I've both got girls learning to be strong and really strong girls learning to be stronger. Yeah. <laughs> Camille told me that on this backpacking trip, she's benefited from being around leaders from more established outdoor programs. A lot of great conversations in grants, in new program ideas uh, that might also work as fundraisers, and then just general suggestions, too. I'm so open to that kind of thing. But especially with, like, putting my young women into positions of leadership and kind of trying to figure out what that would look like uh, as I take these first-year girls who've completed this program successfully and then bring them into the second year, they're going into a leadership position, and I think I'm asking a lot more questions, like, how are how are your organizations doing that? How do you bring a girl? Because I'm not, I'm not necessarily totally qualified to create a leader. I mean, I've had years in the mountain industry, which I've kind of piecemealed myself a sort of self-claimed leader, right? But it's not like there's a checklist. I didn't pass a test to do this. And I certainly don't know how I would speed someone else through that process. Um, so really learning from these these other women who've seen it done, how what that might look like on my end. I learned from these women that it can feel like they're working in a silo or that it can be difficult to get access to knowledge of people more embedded in the outdoor ed space. But this trip is opening up some of those resources. Okay, so easy first question. Um, what's your name? And tell me a little bit about the organization that you're representing this weekend. Uh, my name is Leisha Sahagan. I'm the executive director at Wild Watcom. We do outdoor education, and we're based in Bellingham, Washington. We serve about 2,000 individuals each year, mainly youth um, in second through eighth grade. So I've heard the job title executive director twice so far. Um and I actually am not entirely sure what that means. So what, what does that mean <laughs> uh, for you? Yeah, um, a friend, a fellow executive director and I joke that being an executive director means that everyone kind of directs at you. You're kind of in this cross section between the board of directors and staff. Um, <clears throat> so I think you're kind of managing both of those both of those levels. You're trying to see down all the way down to your you know, what the staff experience is like in your programs, in the field, but then also having these conversations upward in a sense with the board talking about risk management and fiduciary oversight. It's kind of a lot to hold. Another benefit to a trip like this, knowing you're not alone. For me, a lot of times it's it's like the validation. I think hearing similar experiences, there's been a lot of conversations where you know, someone brings up whatever topic around working in outdoor ed and being a woman leader um, and just being able to hear sh- hear experiences that it's like, yeah, like that resonates totally with me. And to just have that instant feeling of like, OK, I'm not alone in this. I'm not the only one experiencing this. I feel like for me, that's all like I need that grounding on a regular basis. I think being a director can be really isolating. So being around other folks, especially other women, um, to just kind of hear others say things that are like what's going around in my head on a regular basis to just hear hear someone vocalize that and for whatever reason it's really powerful and impactful for me. Conversation flowed easily along the trail. We talked about environmental issues and dating and camping stories and the women got to talk about the real issues impacting their work. It was different than your average work conference or retreat. I actually really liked how uh, informal everything was. I felt like that really lent itself to being able to have those conversations. Lots of times if you go to trainings or conferences, things feel a little bit awkward, a little bit like there's a lot of structure and it can feel really hard to get out what you want. And when you're on a trail and you just have kind of endless time to talk with different people, it just feels really 
natural to have those conversations. This is Patrika Peters, who helps to run MakeSpace, a nonprofit in Spearfish, South Dakota, whose mission is in the name, making space for people in the community that haven't always had access to arts or the outdoors. We chatted after the trip, so you'll have to excuse some of the background noise that isn't really deserty. One of the things that I'm particularly interested in is how equity plays out in the field of um, outdoor spaces and what that looks like. I think it's really challenging because of just the amount of privilege that there is in being able to get outside in those more traditional ways. Um, And so I really liked hearing from organizations that are not framing getting outside and connecting with what we refer to as nature um, in a really narrow scope, but really trying to broaden what that looks like and how that can still be an empowering experience and um, work for a wider demographic of people than, than it has in the past. The trip was two nights, and each night the whole group gathered around the campfire for no-judgment conversation. Equity was a central talking point. Girl Ventures' mission is to inspire girls to lead through outdoor adventure, inner discovery, and collective action. Um, And what that looks like is a lot of wilderness immersion for communities that don't historically have a lot of access to the outdoors. We use backpacking, camping, rock climbing, and kayaking as catalysts to inspire girls to love and protect nature and to build their own confidence and empathy. And do you see that? Do you see that happening? Yes. Um, So the organization was founded in 1997, and although I'm relatively recent addition to the organization, we're now seeing some of our graduates who um, started with us in sixth grade and have stayed with us through middle and high school come back and become instructors and um, start being recognized for the work that they're doing as leaders. And so that's an amazing and gratifying thing to see. This is Emily Tightsworth, the executive director at Girl Ventures, which is based out of the Bay Area of California. So last night we were sitting around the campfire and um, you made a really great point about uh, the people in leadership at nonprofits like Girl Ventures and what you'd like to see in the future. Would you be willing to share that now? Yeah, um, something that's always been really important to me professionally and personally and I think has really come to sharp relief when I joined the outdoor industry and, you know, became part of Girl Ventures was just that, you know, the leadership of our organizations is overwhelmingly white. um, And I think a lot of historically, a lot of the inclusion work has just focused on women and not really thought intersectionally. And so that's ended up, you know, putting a lot of white women who are relatively affluent in these leadership roles. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think really seriously about how to replace myself with somebody who better represents the communities that we serve. And I strive to to lead in a facilitative and collective way, but I don't think that's enough. I think we have to all really think strategically about making sure that there are other people in the leadership pipeline and that we're supporting and mentoring them and, you know, ready and willing to give up power so that other people can lead. Topics of gender equity also came up. This is Marina Fleming of Women's Wilderness. We have a lot of conversations around gender, and I mean, we're a very specific women's wilderness named organization, and we're definitely expanding um, our LGBTQ plus offerings, and we do a lot of talking around, like, what does it mean to have a name like women's wilderness, but to also be welcoming and even approachable um, for non-gender binary participants to want to participate um, in programs through us, and so I think we just have a lot to think about and a lot to consider and making our courses really inclusive to not just girls and women, but the larger identities that I think are still um, finding confidence to come out and voice themselves. We also talked about the formation of boards and nonprofits and how intentional organizers have to be if they want to best serve the population that they hope to reach through their nonprofits. There was a refreshing lack of ego around these women, a genuine drive to help introduce girls to the outdoors. We'll hear more after this. 
In the spirit of the giving season, I'm looking to support businesses that pay it forward with my dollar, which is why I love Third Love. Not only do they make the most comfortable bras with no slip straps and memory foam cups for all shapes and sizes, but they are all about supporting the girls, the ones on our chests and the hearts below them. With a give back program, I can find a perfect fitting bra from over 80 sizes. Try it out for 60 days by wearing, washing, and testing its limits. And if I don't absolutely love it, I can send it back and the gently used bra will be given to a woman in need. Third Love supports local charities in the San Francisco Bay Area and all across the United States, meaning over 15 million bras have been donated to date. That's 30 million breasts being supported and loved for their unique selves. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering my listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash explore now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash explore for 15% off today. This episode of She Explores is brought to you by Steo. Steel was founded to inspire connection with the outdoors through beautiful and functional products infused with mountain soul. She Explores founder Gail Straub is here to talk about the comfort and versatility of Steel's apparel and how it has kept up with her lifestyle out and indoors alike during the season changes. I got this Steel outfit that I picked out specifically for cozy fall into winter in New England. Like I specifically looked at their catalog and I thought, what can I wear? for the next six months as we transition into the dark times of the year. And I picked out this gray fleece, cowl-necked, super comfy top. I just want to wear it all day, all the time. It's also the kind of top that you can pull on after a day in the mountains, like you know, when you have that kind of wind-burned feeling. And then I got the rivet pants, which are this stretchy material and they're navy and the combination of the two I think look great with a cute pair of boots. So it was a perfect outfit for experiencing foliage and, and now I'm just like wearing it into the holidays. So every time I hang out with friends, I'm realizing that I'm wearing the same outfit, which has been kind of funny. Learn more and get 25% off your purchase by going to steo.com and use code EXPLORE at checkout. That's S-T-I-O dot com and a whole 25% off by using code EXPLORE at checkout. We're back. This is inspiring me because we work mostly with girls who are um, in middle and high school, thinking about how we can integrate more intergenerational trips. And I think the exchanges that we've had here that kind of cross generational lines, it reminds me that I don't have a lot of that in my own personal life as much as I'd like to. And, um, you know, although we work with adult mentors in a lot of our programs, I think really thinking more about, you know, the wisdom of youth and the wisdom of people who've spent a lot more time doing this work and just living and um, trying to create more of those spaces, I think is really uh, inspiring. Emily, ED at Girl Ventures, is right. We all benefited from the wisdom of two women that came on this trip that imparted years of experience in the nonprofit and for-profit outdoor world. I just love being with new creative thinking, and I think this group is exactly that, and and taking on the challenge of doing it. That's so... Um, it's great fun to be with young women, I have to say. And I showed up and I thought, oh my God, every one of these women is so competent in the backcountry. You can tell it right off the bat. So what a thrill. <laughs> this is Martha Wyckoff, a donor to the Karen Project and the woman who underwrote this very backpacking trip. And it came about because I came on the REI superstition trip a year ago and had time to think as I was walking along. It was a women's trip. I didn't know anyone. I enjoyed everyone on the trip and made some acquaintances that I've stayed in touch with, but it gave me a continuous time to think and started thinking about the Karen Project and Allison Wright and Sarah's uh, creating it and wondered if maybe this was a vehicle for them to help 
promote and explore the things that they're doing through the Karen Project, which is funding getting girls outdoors. Martha has years of outdoor experience under her belt and is active in the environmental nonprofit space. She's an emeritus board member of the Trust for Public Land, as well as on the board of the Seattle Art Museum, to name just a couple of the boards that she's on. I didn't know what it would look like. It was up to Allison and Sarah to create what this would be. It could have easily have been a, a different configuration. Um, so I, I came to it just as a supporter. And what I've experienced is a powerful opportunity for a group of women who are leading change in their organizations, nonprofits, uh, to share and exchange ideas, which often is very difficult to do when you've got your head down and you're doing your hard work and meeting a mission objective for uh, these small nonprofits. So I, th- I, think it's, I think it's been an opportunity that's been empowering. And maybe one of the things is that this medium of hiking in the superstitions is a chance to do exactly what we all love doing. And it's getting outside, it's living, it's living the mission and reminding ourselves that this is why we do the work we do. What is it about the, the Cairn Project that speaks to you? Like what Allison and Sarah are doing? I love that they created a grant-making organization that is giving small, really materially small, yet highly powerful grants to organizations that make a difference. And... Um, there are lots of big groups that do phenomenal things, but I, I, and I didn't know any of these organizations other than by reading about them. To see it in action by meeting the women leading them, I am super impressed how the Karen Project um, funding, conscientiously and, and very considered, but these grants m- make a big difference, and that's what I'm hearing from, from the group. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Have there been uh, any conversations that you've had, like whether on the trail or maybe around the campfire last night, that have um, resonated with you? There were a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Many of them resonated. I mean, everything from um, how hard it is to make time to do all the things that an organization needs to do to... um, meet its mission and serve its constituency, the girls and the families and the communities. I, I, I think that this is a, a big subject for all of us, and, and, and these small, scrappy nonprofits are, um, struggle with it a great deal. How, how does a nonprofit employ the right number of people and pay benefits? Well, shouldn't they all be able to pay benefits? <laughs> it seems to me they should. And it's so difficult to do that. So the challenges are real, and we had some honest candor in talking about things that that matter. And and maybe this will build some coalitions. Maybe there'll be some some larger community development. Every bit of this is about getting girls outdoors, but they're also unlikely partners, and maybe they can come together and do something even bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think Sally asked this last night, it was a simple question, but she asked like how the different women around the fire got into um, the outdoors, like how they started, what their path looked like. And everyone's mm-hmm. path is different. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what was yours like? I g- grew up in the 50s and the 60s with unlimited freedom. And whether we were in the city or we were in, you know, the outdoors, we did a lot of camping. We did a lot of playing in parks. We were able to roam neighborhoods uh, singly and in packs. And uh, that absolutely was the creation of my passion for the outdoors. I love that unlimited freedom. That's different than kids. (laughs) Seemingly seems different than the way kids experience uh, a lot of things today. It's true. And I hope they all can find through these organizations and and parks. Um, I spend my time with an organization called the Trust for Public Land, and we're land for people and creating parks. And I, I hope more individuals get to have time in the outdoors, whether it's down the street, 10 minutes away from home, or 
It's uh, in something like the Superstition Wilderness. Don't step nice. on him. Just don't step That's on him. It's the biggest it's crazy. Like it's a big part. It's a baby tarantula? Yeah, a little tarantula. Oh. I was going to say, we saw a bun yeah. The desert is full of life, wild and otherwise. Coming from the East Coast, I thought I'd be more afraid of tarantula and rattlesnake sightings. But with these women, it's exciting. I feel safe. I have mine if you would like it. You want the headlamp? Oh, I got mine. So what, what have we see, seen so far? We saw tarantulas. Tarantulas. A garter snake and now a rattlesnake. Oh, and then that's the third tarantula. Oh, that's right. You said one over here, too. I just think about the courage and the commitment of the people on this trip to adding on to their regular workload with a a dream for how to make the outdoors accessible to others so that other people can experience just how it fuels the soul and makes us better as humans and and live more in harmony with nature and to a certain extent relieves of, of some of the stress. This is Sally Jewell again. She's someone I've deeply admired since I started this work, someone I've dreamed of having on this podcast. I couldn't have imagined a more open, insightful, smart, and compassionate leader. When I met everybody, I was under tremendous stress, and I know it showed at that first dinner, because I've just been going nonstop way too much. Um, And I kept the commitment to do this, not because I didn't have a lot of pressure not to, but because I think it's important to keep your commitments. But now I'm really glad I came because I needed the break. And I'm a different person now than I was a few days ago. And I think that the women we met on this trip are very dedicated to providing that kind of relief from day-to-day stresses to other women who are in a situation that's in many cases very different than their own Mm. and very stressful. And they don't have opportunities like this. So I just think that's extraordinary. And they're doing it, for the most part, on top of their regular jobs. Sally and I talked about how she's still working to find balance in her career, how she broke free from expectations and became an engineer, a VP at a bank, CEO at REI, and Secretary of the Interior. And we talked about how, today, she looks at her life's trajectory and she wants to give back. It's fair to say that Martha and I share a deep commitment to conservation and nature and connecting people with nature and uh, both being women who are late in career, I think it's fair to say that we're both committed to mentoring and uh, learning about the next generation and and how people are uh, kind of paying it forward. So that's why I'm here. Yeah, I definitely heard even along the trail the the kind of commitment that you seem to have to mentoring, even like quickly with people that you might not meet again. So like I overheard a conversation that you had with one of um, our guides and she, you were talking about giving her some advice as to like how to talk to bosses through issues or um, how she might want to volunteer in order to like expand her network and mm-hmm. expand um, just her perspective on the kind of work that she does. And um, that struck me as something that, that not everyone would do. Um, it's not something that everyone takes the time to do. So why, why do you feel so passionately about it? And why do you, why do you take time with people? Yeah, I think it's, it's fair to say that my, you know, my life has been blessed with all kinds of mentors. Mentors that are older, mentors that are younger, mentors that are contemporary, mentors that thought that I was mentoring them, um, when in reality I um, recognize that a real mentoring relationship is one that goes two ways, where you're learning from each other. And so I think as I get to the you know, later stages of my career, you begin to reflect on what got you where you are and why you have been successful 
and all of the doubts that you had about yourself along the way and how other people saw things in you that you didn't see in yourself. And this is part of the joy of being, you know, 63 is that you recognize that you really are a, a product of many, many people that have shaped your life. And when you get to a position where you have an opportunity to give back in that way, it's just really important. I asked Sally if she had any advice for women looking to enter the environmental and outdoor ed nonprofit field. What she said hit close to home for me. Yes, yeah, so when you're working in a nonprofit, part of your job is generally raising money. And most of us don't like to do that. A lot of us love the programming work, but as an organization grows and becomes more successful, you'll find yourself doing more administrative tasks and in some ways turning over the fun stuff to other people. And I think going in with your eyes wide open about that is really helpful. And having an honest conversation with yourself about what's important to me? What makes me most excited? What am I good at? And is that aligned with the realities of uh, the organization that I might envision right now? I would give people advice that they talk to people who have worked in the nonprofit sector and have gone through this so that they get a, a really good view of it. And one of the things that came out around the campfire was the risk of burnout. And I think that was a really good and very realistic conversation. Martha and I have seen that, and we felt it to a certain extent ourselves when we got overextended. So I would encourage people that are, you know, have a, a vision of educating girls in nature to say, why do I have that vision? Why is it really important to me? What role would I like to play? And can I do that best through starting my own organization? Can I do it best by working with some other organization? Can I make enough money to have a life that is satisfactory to me? So do I do this as a volunteer or do I do it full time? And just having people help you navigate that journey, I think, helps set expectations in a, in a, a really helpful way, but also Sometimes you ignore the advice you got from somebody else and you create something amazing. There were examples of that too. So, you know, knowing yourself and knowing what really makes you happy and knowing how passionate you are about, about the topic or how tentative you are, I think all of that's really important to know too. I, I liked what you said last night about like, you, you just mentioned like what makes you happy and what makes you excited, but you also mentioned like what kind of brings you angst. I think yeah. you use that word and like that is a very visceral feeling and it's really good that when you're feeling it to not just like identify it maybe as stress like oh this is temporary it's going to pass but like what are those things that keep repeating and like how can you minimize that at least in the work that you're doing because it's still going to be work Mm -hmm. but like to recognize that is pretty powerful yeah I think as women in particular we just have an amazing capacity to feel guilty about everything guilty that we're not doing as much in our relationships that we feel we should be doing. If we're parents, guilty that we're not spending enough time with our kids. You know, guilty that we are, our house is a mess. Mm. <laughs> you, just, you name it, we can just feel guilty about everything. And we also, women have a much greater sense of imposter syndrome than men. Mm-hmm. In general, we don't feel that we are capable uh, when sometimes we are overly capable. And finding people around us to hold up a mirror and say, look at what you're doing. Look at what you've accomplished. Uh, is really helpful to move us beyond feeling like we don't belong at this table to recognizing that not only do we belong at this table, but we're actually pretty darn good at it. <laughs> and I, I think finding people along your journey that can help hold up a mirror or say, you know, you're not the person that you were. It seems like you're under a lot of stress. You know, what's getting to you? And then kind of help you puzzle through. You think mentors help with that too? Totally.
Mentorship is an important part of what the CARM project is doing too, especially in their ambassador model of raising money for their grants through women taking adventures. I do want to note, when looking at their program through an equity lens, it will be interesting to see how the CARM project continues to grow the ambassador program to have the ambassadors reflect the communities that they serve. Here's Marina of Women's Wilderness again. A huge champion always of more women getting outside. And I think while those opportunities or uh, expeditions might have happened otherwise, they just take on a different form. Like in 2009, um, I think I maybe mentioned to you, I did a cross-country bike trip with three other friends. And it would have been an amazing adventure just on our own. But the fact that we were amplifying it and raising money um, for, in, in our case, a private specialty hospital in Atlanta, it just took on roots. And it allowed our touch points to just grow and have this just amazing ripple effect. And you're able to invite way more people in to your expedition. And you're able to role model and influence in ways that... Uh, perhaps you would not have had the same opportunity to. Um, and I think it's also just like collective impact, like to be able to go on Karen Project's website and to see such an amazing list of ambassadors doing really cool stuff. Like think about the role modeling that happens just for other women um, and to be able to communicate to our girls and to our participants like, hey, here's a, fi- a funder of ours and here's what they're inspiring them to do. So I think it just really ups the ante in terms of collective impact um, and role modeling in ways that, yeah, you don't always get to when you operate just in the silo. Uh, I am the co-director and co-founder of San Juan Mountain Souls, which is based in Durango, Colorado. This is Ashley Carruth. Her organization was the recipient of a grant from the CARM Project. And a couple of years ago, she bikepacked Bears Ears in Utah to raise money for them, too. I think for me, like, I was really, I had a personal interest in the Bears Ears. I wanted to understand the debate about whether or not there should be a monument there. Um, I teach environmental justice and um, environmental ethics to my 12th graders at Animus High School in Durango and wanted to kind of use it as a recon to um, be able to teach that issue to them and bring my students actually out to the Bears Ears when I returned from my sabbatical. But I also was sort of feeling, you know, I had started my sabbatical and I'd been skiing up in British Columbia, like just purely selfishly, you know, skiing. (laughs) And I was feeling a bit purposeless and just really jumped at the opportunity to have a purpose for my bikepacking trip that was bigger than me and to give back to the Karen project that you know has already given so much to souls and other programs like souls um and and then also it was a really great opportunity to be able to partner with the Karen project to have a bigger platform to raise awareness on the bears ears monument so it was super exciting when they when they like I was definitely kind of in this, like, what am I going to do? Why am I doing this sabbatical <laughs> phase, like, of, like, existential angst? And I got this call from them. It couldn't have been more perfectly timed. Like, it's been amazingly how serendipitous this partnership has been over the years with, with the Karen Project and Souls. And and so, anyways, it was awesome. And the Bears Ears trip was the most transformative trip of my lifetime. And it's been amazing to be able to share it both with my, uh, both with our Soul sisters and also with my students. As we neared the end of the three-day, two-night backpacking trip, Ashley and I looked back at the landscape. It's been a while to look back at this. It's it's hard. The trail is even, like, so lightly defined, like, till that we were, like, in there. I don't know. I know. You can't really (laughs) see it. It's such, such, yeah, formidable country. And it's cool to have done a through hike because you can kind of look back and it's like a yeah. sort of a straight point through that, but it's obviously not a straight point. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's been beautiful. I was also struck by something Leisha had said in our conversation about the landscape's openness, too. And something that gets me every time is just like the expansiveness of the views. I don't know, it just puts things in perspective. Like we've been talking about, it's so hard to know how far we've walked. It's like everything just is so expansive around here. So it's kind of nice. It's a, I feel like a pretty humbling place to be. As I reflect on this trip, I'm thankful for what I've learned from all these women, the proximity to their strong sense of mission, and the gift of perspective. 
It's something I'll be carrying into the new year with me. It's a question that's worth revisiting. What drives you? Where do you want to go? And what values are taking you there? As for the Karen Project, Sarah and Allison are looking ahead, hoping to continue to bring women together and excited by the connections that were made over the weekend. For me, this weekend, I think it really crystallized our role as bringing together this community of women who are passionate about this topic and want to get involved and want to mm-hmm. support it and want to like rally their communities to support it. And then the women who are doing the work and like being a bridge between those. And then how can we bring them together and how can we dig in further to like the sharing and learning and collaboration that's possible among that community. The CARM Project is also seeking out ambassadors who are planning to take a big adventure in 2020 and want to raise money to help get girls and young women outside. I'll link their website, karenproject.org, and all the nonprofits mentioned here in the show notes and on the episode landing page. Thank you to Karen Project, Sally Jewell, Martha Wyckoff, and all the women featured in this episode for their time, wisdom, and voices. I learned so much about the world of outdoor education, and I can't wait to see where you all go from here. Thank you as well to our sponsors, Dio, Smartwool, and Third Love. As always, links and discount codes are listed on the episode landing page and our show notes. This is our last episode of She Explores for 2019, and I just want to take an opportunity to thank all of you for listening and for being here. I learned so much from all of you, from all the conversations that I get to have, and I'm so grateful that of all the podcasts out there, you show up here and in our She Explores podcast Facebook group. As I plan for 2020, I'll definitely be reaching out there to hear more about what you'd like to hear on the podcast as we enter our fourth year, which is which is kind of nuts. I guess it's the three and a half year, but it's still a big deal. You can also find us at she underscore explores on Instagram and catch up on old episodes and our written series of blog posts on she-explores.com. This episode was produced by me, Gail Straub, and that lovely voice that you heard in the ad is a new member of our team, Tori Duhame. Music is by Kay Engel, Lee Rosevere, and Josh Woodward using Creative Commons Attributions License. Until the new year, thank you again, and have fun out there. <laughs>